Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Busy weekend for the Bulldogs, but tonight will be the national championship game. I know you guys are excited about that. Alabama and Georgia. Who are you picking? I'd like to see Georgia win, but it's difficult to pull against Nick Saban. I mean, it honestly is. I, mean, I don't mean like from a favorite standpoint, but it's from when you begin to look at it and say, you know, Georgia has great culture within their football program. But Kirby Smart and the culture of Georgia are about to take on the greatest culture in the history of the game. It's as simple as that. Doesn't matter how many assistant coaches come and go. Doesn't matter how many players hit the transfer portal. As long as St. Nick is there, he's always going to deliver. That's just how it works. But I think it would be good for the game of college football to see Georgia win. You know, they hadn't had a national championship since, what, 1980? But, you know, Georgia's been one of those teams that has consistently been, you know, right there. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, consistency and things of that nature. And, and that's what Georgia has really been, even in the Mark Rick years. I mean, they couldn't get over the, the Tennessee hump for a while. And it's like if they could beat Tennessee and Florida, they'd find a way to lose to somebody they wouldn't. They shouldn't. But, um, you know, the reality of it is, is that uh, – you know, they're, they're facing the machine. Pretty simple. And, uh, you know, as uh, Nick Saban, assistant coaches, have not done exceptionally well against him. You know, looking at the, you know, the Kirby Smart years, you know, the very first year, Kirby Smart was 8-5. and five, And a lot of people said, yep, yep, it's going to be a step back, man. They went to the Liberty Bowl. And they won the Liberty Bowl. They had a seven and five regular season, four and four in the SEC, and people are like, up, oh, yep, it's about higher. The very next year, they win the East. They go seven and one in the SEC, thirteen and two, play in an AFL championship game. They lose. Eighteen again, they win the East, seven and one in the SEC, eleven and three overall. They lose the Sugar Bowl. If I remember correctly, they got beat down pretty good. Didn't take a step back in 19. They win the East again, 7-1 in the league, 12-2 overall. They win the Sugar Bowl and end the year with a number four ranking. Last year, 8-2 against a 10-game SEC schedule. They go 7-2, finish second in the East behind Florida and Dan Mullen. They win the Peach Bowl and end up with a number seven ranking. So no matter how things shake out tonight, Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs Five consecutive top ten rankings and two national championship game appearances over the course of the last five seasons. That's getting it done. 
It is. And you look, you know, historically, you know, even, I mean, just, just look back at Mark Richt. You know, Mark Richt had more double digits winning seasons than he, than he didn't at the University of Georgia. Had difficulty getting over the hump. You know, I guess he wins the East, what, you know, five times, four or five times. But consistently, you know, a top 20 type team. You know, back in 09, they went eight and five, went to Independence Bowl. In 2010, they had a losing record. And you got to go back several years to think about Georgia having back-to-back losing years. I mean, Mark Rick was 145 and 51. His final two seasons at Georgia, 10 and 3. Won his last two bowl games. And people said, oh, you know, he can't get over the hump. And he couldn't. There were some years they finished third, but that's the deal. They never finished less than third in the SEC East under Mark Rick, even in rebuilding years. I mentioned about the back-to-back losing seasons. Yeah, you got to go back a long way. You know, this is a language that we don't really speak here at Mississippi State. Even back in the early 70s, even when it was a bad year, it wasn't a losing year. They had, you know, 5-5, five, 5-5-1 five, five, five back-to-back years, so they had a couple 500 years. You got to go all the way back to 1962 and 1963 to find back-to-back losing seasons by the Georgia Bulldogs. That's impressive. Now, of course, Johnny Griffith had three very forgetful years in Athens, 10-16 and four record. Never won more than four games. And Vince Dooley got there. And Vince went to work. Vince Dooley never had more than one losing season back-to-back years. In fact, he only had one losing season. His end-time tenure at Georgia. And you begin to think, too, Georgia should always really be a national power. They are the preeminent program within their state, have one of the greatest college towns in the country, in Athens, Georgia. But Vince Dooley is the one that really put Georgia on the map. Ray Goff comes in and is just, uh, you know, above average, kind of back and forth. You know, Georgia was a team that didn't consistently compete for anything of significance. Just two top 20 finish, finishes under Ray Goff from 89 to 95. His final season was a six and six year, six and five regular season, three and five in the league. They lose the Peach Bowl, and Ray Goff is out. They bring in Jim Donnan. Donnan, first year, five and six. And again, it's about culture. Got to turn things around. Well, they do in year two. 10 and 2, 6 and 2 in the league, finishing in the top 10. Donnan, four consecutive years, ranking in the top 20. But he couldn't beat the rivalry schools. So he's out. They go 10 and 2, 9 and 3, 8 and 4, 8 and 4. And again, that's kind of a, hey, if that happened here at Mississippi State, we'd be overjoyed. Georgia, there's a different level of expectation. You know, Vince Dooley kind of showed them, hey, we can compete and do some big things. Then Mark Rick comes in, of course, and, uh, you know, Mark Rick, again, you know, looking at the numbers here, again, just one losing season. It's remarkable to see what's happened at Georgia. And, again, it goes back to culture. What's interesting, too, about Georgia is, like, you would think, well, you know, it's Georgia. They got all these resources. Well, here's the deal. You know, why aren't they dominating other sports? But football is definitely their brand. You know, we've talked about this before, about how we've always kind of considered Georgia baseball kind of annual and perennial underachievers. 
in college baseball. You know what's interesting about that too? You know, you know, we we we've been to Omaha several times, right? They have been to Omaha six times in their history, just six. You know, prior to Scott Strickland getting there, you know they they, they hadn't really had a whole lot. They got there in two thousand. He got there what in two thousand fourteen. Been in a tournament a couple times, puts together great pitching, but, you know, they, they have not been a great team. And they won an AFL championship in 1990, and that was just the second time in their history they had won a regional. So one AFL championship, one College World Series runner-up, that's the same thing we got. But when you get a little deeper into this and you realize that, you know, looking at the NCAA tournament appearances here, you know, 14, they've made the NCAA tournament just 14 times. It's pretty crazy. Let's talk about Georgia basketball. That's pretty crazy, too. You would think, man, how in the world can Georgia be that close to Atlanta and not be a dominant basketball program? I'm sure their fans are wondering the same thing. Again, they have made the Final Four one time. Who does that remind you of? That's us, 1996. They've been to the Sweet 16 twice. So have we. What's even crazier is when you start counting all these appearances and look at their, you know, their NCAA tournament record, they've only won a first-round game four times. They've won the conference regular season championship twice in their history. We get here a little bit deeper into the schedule here, look at the, you know, the coaches they've had. It's pretty incredible to think about, you know, the fact that they have not done a good job here in recent years. They just haven't. You know, Tom Crean, of course, that was a huge hire. You know, he, he's out at Indiana. He goes to the University of Georgia, 11-21, and 16-16, 14-12, and 5-10. Struggling in a major way. It's pretty crazy to look at all this. You think, man, you know, Georgia's this and Georgia's that. Georgia is a football school, period. You know, Joni Mitchell's done a good job over there on the women's side. But, again, you know, not anything of, of real note you look at and say, you know what, they've been a dominant program. They, they just simply haven't been. So football is where it's at for those folks. And, uh, you know, they get a chance to play for an AFL championship tonight. But it is interesting. I mean, it's like we get so acutely aware of what happens at Mississippi State. Yeah, I think if you're a Georgia fan, you got to feel a little bit dissatisfied. You know, they just changed athletic directors early, well, I guess about a year ago now. But uh, my, my point being is that when you look at the collective health over the last couple of decades of that athletic department, it really hadn't been that strong. But it's kind of masked by the success in football because in this part of the country, football is king. You know, we're a baseball school playing in a football-crazy environment. And so we don't, we think, you know what, hey, well, they ought to be pretty good. Well, they're not always pretty good. But they are in football. And so, again, for that reason, yeah, I think about those Georgia fans, and they are truly committed to football. There's no doubt about it. They are very much a rabid fan base. That administration is very committed to football. You'd like to see that rewarded. You know what I'm saying? Especially when a program has the kind of culture that they have. They have a winning culture. It's been a healthy culture. You don't hear about them getting in a bunch of trouble. I mean, you did it with Jim Herrick in basketball. But you don't hear about Georgia – you know, in the crosshairs of the NCAA very often. So either they're running a pristine program or they're really good at hiding their stuff, you know, or maybe a combination of both. 
But I just share that with you because I think it's uh, it's important. You know, I remember how much we wanted an NFL championship in baseball. And of course, we'd never had one in anything. They'd had one in a couple sports. But I like to see a little parity in the game. I'd love to see Georgia win. That's who I'll be pulling for. And the reality of it is it doesn't really matter who I'm pulling for. I have no impact on the game. That's one thing that I, I laugh when I see all the people getting upset on Facebook. You know, well, you should be pulling for so-and-so. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It, it does it absolutely does not matter, you know, who, who we're pulling for. It's like I get so tickled when, uh, you know, some state people are upset with Ole Miss fans that weren't pulling for us in the College World Series. I wouldn't pull for them either. And then other people are almost, hey, we're pulling for you. Well, yeah, that's really cute. But, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. It's not like there's this collective, you know, positivity front that's going to roll in on the team and say, well, hey, you know, we we probably weren't going to win the day, but we've got all these rival fans pulling for us. Maybe that'll be the difference. No, it's never the case. You know, we kind of delude ourselves into thinking that somehow we have some impact on the game, but we don't. But uh, for what it's worth – I'd really like to see Georgia win. So let's uh, enjoy that tonight. Last college football game, you know, for a long time. Of course, these all-star games don't really mean anything. So this is the last college football game of significance uh, for the better part of eight months. You know, I guess we'll get started, uh, you know, late August. But, um, you know, that's one thing, too. If I, I don't imagine that I could be a fan of some other schools that uh, you don't, you know, it's like you, we don't have always the highest of highs in football. We've had some big moments this year. Of course, road wins at Auburn and A&M, and uh, you know, those are significant. There were games that many of us didn't expect to win. We win those games. And so, like, yeah, it's great. College football was fun. It wasn't as fun as we wanted it to be, but probably funner than most people expected it to be. But then all of a sudden we get done with college football, and we're like, hey, man, we're like five weeks away from college baseball season. We've been waiting all year for this. We're not even done celebrating an NFL championship. You know, so – You've got that to look forward to. We've also got some basketball stuff we're going to talk about on today's show. I know you're excited about that. And really, really excited about today's top ten list. Really, really excited about today's top ten list. This is one of my own. We're going to knock out some of your requests this week. And uh, Elton John didn't do really well. Stevie Wonder did exceptional. Excited about that. Had a lot of requests for both. But the Elton John list did not do well. Stevie Wonder, outstanding. Not top ten, Roy tells me. But really, really significant. Over 14,000. That's pretty impressive, right? That's really impressive. Appreciate you guys supporting the top 10 list. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I really want to get in there this week. I've kind of been, you know, jonesing a little bit. You know, it's like when you begin to think, you kind of get a craving for something. And I'm thinking, hey, I think I want to get in there and have the freshman 15. I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to go, maybe I want to get this. And, you know, I get, sometimes I get those sliders. Those sloppy Joe sliders, which are outstanding. You know, sometimes I don't want to have – I don't want to overeat. <laughs> you know, it's like they put a plate of food in front of me. I'm going to try to eat as much of it as I can. And sometimes, like especially at lunch, the lunch rush, I get those sliders because they're very nutritious and they're full of protein and they're very tasty. And I don't get too full and sluggish the rest of the day. And if I'm going for dinner, I'm going to get my money's worth because, uh, you know, I'm going to eat and eat and eat and I'm going to sleep good on a full stomach. Uh, you will too. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I don't know many people that that uh, that don't share my same enthusiasm uh, for this organization. There are three great locations to serve you. The first one right here, University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Uh, go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. 
That'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that, especially as we age. Kind of like the Dream On song. Every time I look in the mirror, these lines in my face getting clearer. I need to go have some more spring rolls. It's like the fountain of youth. So go check them out today. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. If you don't want to get a dessert and get it in the car, uh, maybe eat the, um, you know, the Shipwish Donuts bread pudding. Kind of a unique take on a southern classic delicacy. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk men's hoops. We may not want to, but we're going to. Uh, the, the men lose a ball game at Oxford. And uh, here's the deal, man. This is the thing that gets me. You know, here's the deal. This was not a good old Miss team. You know, it's one thing for us to lose the first game in a series. We almost always do. But we really played poorly in that first half. And we get out to, what, a 7-5 and five lead, and the next thing you know, they go on like a 10-0 run and basically controlled the game the majority of the first half. They had scored their season high. First half scoring was 43. They put up 50 against us. And one of the things that really irritates me, too, is, uh, you know, we see that 1-3-1 defense all the time, and it's like we don't know what to do. It's like we, we know that it's coming at some point. And, and give Kermit Davis some credit. He's a good coach. He knows that we can't handle it. And then just when we begin to make a run, they go to the 1-3-1, create some turnovers, and again, gain some separation in the game. We win the second half, 36-32. We made a run a couple times and cut it under double digits. But to be honest with you, every time we did, it seemed like Old Miss was able to stretch it right back out. So give them credit. They outplayed us. I didn't think our kids quit. And, and dare I say, I think we got outcoached a little bit in this ballgame. Dare I say it. But we did. And that, this is a team, Old Miss team was like in the net at 120. And our net was like 39. And so forget the fact that it's a rivalry game. Forget that. You know, this is an Ole Miss team that has been up and down. We talked about that in our preview back on Friday. They play good one game, then they don't play good the next. You can say, well, Steve, you know, well, you know, we didn't have Tolu. You know, that's true. You know, they didn't have their leading score either. Jarkel Joyner played just six minutes of action, didn't attempt a shot, and they still put up 82 points on us. And I've read some of the social media commentary. It's like, well, you know, when you got a guy like that, like Matthew Morrell, that's just on fire like that, there's nothing you can do. Well, you're wrong. I know that sounds fun to say, and it's good to make an excuse, I guess. You know, and I know, listen, we all love Mississippi State, but I, don't, I think it's okay for us to be honest. And there's sometimes, too, some people take honesty and they mistake that you know, for negativity. And then the flip side of that is there's some people that are so just so incredibly miserable, they, they think everything they say is correct. Um, but this is a ball game we should have won. We didn't. We didn't win the game. Um, and it, it really exposed some things about our team. Now, it's too easy, too early in the year to throw the towel. But some of the same things that have plagued us for, you know, the previous six years continue to be an issue for us. Perimeter defense is an absolute joke. And, again, maybe it's just part of our philosophy. We're, we're content to give them – the low percentage shot in order to rebound. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. That's why Alabama is such a, a horrible matchup for us because they can rip it from outside. We're kind of content to let them shoot. But it's incredible what happened 
in the second half, we started extending the defense a little bit, kind of forcing them, you know, to get a little bit farther out to kind of set up their shots. And then we made a run. You know, I, I give Ben Howen a little credit there. We, you know, we made some defensive adjustments that led to turnovers and then fast break points. The problem was is that we were already so far behind, it was, it was difficult. You, know, you say 14 points is not an insurmountable lead. You're absolutely right, it's not. But again, credit Ole Miss that every time that we made a bit of a run, they'd get a timeout or we would get a, you know, we'd turn the ball over or they would get a steal. And so we lose. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink. And maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And nothing motivates our fans more than losing to Ole Miss. And it's the same way on the other side of the rivalry. You know, the casual fan... They kind of watch his games occasionally. They're going to watch this one. They're going to pay attention to this one. And so then when you don't win, all of a sudden, there is a new level of angst. And, and I, as I spoke to someone uh, yesterday, 
And the point that I kind of brought up is that we've kind of lost the moderates. You know, there are some people that went into the season and just said, hey, there is no way that Ben Howen's going to make the tournament this year. And then there, there's another part, you know, the other, you know, side of the spectrum is like, we've got too much talent not to make the tournament. I agree with that. We, I think we have the look of a tournament team. We don't always play like it, but we have enough talent to make the tournament. And then there's everybody else in the middle. They're kind of hopeful. You know, they don't have a strong opinion either way. They're just going to cheer for Mississippi State. They're not really looking for a coaching change. They're not out there, uh, you know, scouring the Internet looking for potential candidates. But those are the people that, that we lose when we lose a game like this. It really erodes support. And those are the people, those are a lot of your, your single-serving game ticket buyers. It's like, hey, I was thinking about going up there watching them play a game, but you know what? I'm, they're going to lose to this mediocre Ole Miss team. I think I'll just sit at home watching on TV. That's what happens. I mean, th- this is not just a damage to the net. This is a damage to the perception of your team within your own fan base. That's why these games are so important. You beat Ole Miss, now all of a sudden, you know, hey, you're 2-0 and in the SEC, you're 11-3 and overall. People are like, hey, you know what? Hey, we're going in the right direction. Now, devil's advocate will say it's just one game, and it is just one game. But with there's so much parity in the league, we can't afford to drop a game to a team that is basically similarly situated with us. And, again, I give Kermit Davis and his group credit. They shot the ball extremely well. And some of that was our reluctance and unwillingness to get out and play the perimeter. But you give them open shots, they knock them down. you got to credit them for that. And then, of course, when we extended defense a little bit, those shots weren't quite as true. But uh, let's run down some numbers here for you. Uh, we had three double-digit scores. Iverson Molinar, 16 points. Garrison Brooks, 16 points. DJ Jeffries, uh, 13 points. Cameron Matthews fouled out of the game but brought real energy, only played 28 minutes. Uh, four or five from the floor. You get nine points from him. He almost has a double-double, pulls down ten boards. Four assists, three steals. That guy's instant energy for us. And, of course, he's playing in the starting lineup because Tolu was out. But, you know, we got to get him to play in control a little bit more. But the guy's definitely a relentless competitor. I think that's a guy you can win with. You just got to have some pieces around him. He does all the grunt work. Shaquille Moore in the starting lineup. Uh, three of seven from the floor, pitches in seven. We get five off the bench from Rocket Watts, four from Javian Davis. Uh, Anderson Garcia uh, had some decent minutes at times, too, just pitches into two points, but um, got into some foul trouble, uh, found himself on the bench. State, just eight steals in the ballgame, too. And that's the thing, too. We know we're going to play so much man-to-man defense. you got to be able to win some one-on-one matchups, too. you got to be able to, to take – that situation and force some turnovers. And, and we don't always do that. We don't always do a good job. Now, we didn't turn the ball over a lot. That's, that's a positive. If we're looking for you know, something to feel good about here, we actually took care of the basketball pretty well. Now, we did have some stretches where we didn't shoot it exceptionally well. Um, and, again, you, know, you don't take Tolu Smith out of the ball game and, and get better as a team. But, again, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an even type deal when we lose him and they lose Joyner. It's not like that they they played at full strength and we didn't. You know, we were both missing a, a starter, a key starter within the lineup. Three of 16 from three-point line for Mississippi State. That's a big difference in the ballgame right there. Huge, huge difference in the ballgame. So State wins the rebounding battle 37-36. Ole Miss pitches in 11 of 23 from the line. 
from the three-point line. 11 of 23. 33 points from the three-point line against our nine. That's a big difference in the ballgame right there. Big difference in the ballgame. Matthew Morrell, 10 of 11 from the floor. I believe he made his first 10. 31 points, obviously a career high. Five of five from the three-point line. You know, you think maybe, just maybe, we got to get out there and get a hand in his face. Just maybe. And like I read some of the comments, too, like, oh, well, they had people hang out. No, they didn't. They didn't. There were a couple of contested shots. But a lot of these shots that Ole Miss was taking, you know, were the product of good ball movement. They got themselves some open looks, and they knocked them down. Uh, Deshaun Ruffin, a young guy that really gave us some trouble uh, on the defensive end. Played 30 minutes, three of eight from the three-point line, knocked down four or six free throws, eight assists, did have four turnovers, but four steals to kind of negate some of that. Uh, 17 points for him. Uh, Nigel Brooks played pretty well down low for them, kind of took advantage of uh, you know the fact that Tolu was out, especially on the rebounding side. 16 boards for him, 15 points. Really nice effort for him. Uh, and then Brakefield was the guy, too, that I thought gave good energy for him, too. 33 minutes of action, 15 points. Didn't get much out of the way of the bench. You know, they uh, one-point bench scoring for them. And let's look at some of the intangibles here. Ole Miss shot 50.9%. We shot 44. Three-point percentage, 47.8 for them, 18.8 for us. Free throw, 72 and 69. Pretty close there. Nice. All right, so... Points in the paint for them, 30. Points in the paint for us, 46. And so that kind of flies in the whole face of, oh, you know, we were really missing a dominant post guy. He certainly would have helped, but we still won in the paint. Points off turnovers, 19 for us, 15 for them. That's basically uh, the same second chance points for us, 19, them just seven. And, again, that goes back to the rebounding. Fast break points for them, 10, 7 for us. Bench points for us, 11, 1 for them. The difference in the ball game, we didn't defend the perimeter. They shot it exceptionally well from the perimeter, and we take a loss. Simple as that. You can draw it up however else you want to. You can make whatever excuses you want. The reality of it is is that um, they were simply better on offense, and you give them credit for creating opportunities and taking advantage. But some of that, too, is on us for not maybe being – aggressive early enough on the defensive end in that ball game. I mean, 50 points, and this is a team that was scoring, what, 68, 69 points a game, and we give up 50 in the first half. You know, then you get into a situation, too, where your, your execution in the half court's got to be better. We can't afford to have empty possessions. We had a bunch of them. And there was a time there we made a run. I thought we kind of gassed out a little bit. But, again, every time that we were able to get a little uh, – Gain a little ground on them. Yeah, I'm just sitting here looking at this. I guess at one point uh, they were up 30. Yeah, they were up, excuse me, they were up 20, 59 to 39 with 17 minutes to, to go in the game. You, you begin to think there's no way we're overcoming a 20 point deficit. You know, we cut it down to 10 with 13 13 to go in the game. We're down 10 at 61 51. You think, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's get some, some production here. Next thing you know, it's back out to 14. We battle and battle and battle and battle and battle. And then the 10-minute mark, it's back out to 14. We cut it back down to 10, just under nine minutes to go, and it immediately goes right back out to 13. They hit a three. Deshaun Ruffin knocks it down. And then they basically kept it you know, double digits up until the final minutes. We get it down to seven with 4.07 to play. And you're thinking, hey, we got a shot here. They take it back out to nine. We miss a shot. Next thing you know, we're down 11. 
We get it back to within seven a couple times, um, <clears throat> you know, in the final minute. But at that point, it's academic. And so we just never, you know, Ole Miss controlled the game. They took an early lead, and to their credit, they made the plays on both ends of the court. You know, you forget. You, know, you go back and look at this, and it's like, you know, we opened up, um, you know, made some plays early on. DJ Jeffries knocks down a three. Think, hey, we're in good shape here. You know, you look up, and it's like, okay, it's 5-4. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> it's 17-7, to Ole Miss. It's like, you know, we get a, a – early lead, trade some baskets early, and the next thing you know, we're down 10 and we're chasing the game. We did pull even with 11.30 to go at 19. And then from there, it was basically all Ole Miss the rest of the first half. They just took charge from there. You know, we ran out of gas and um, just didn't have much answer for what they wanted to do offensively. And so a lot of people say, Steve, what do you think? Well, you know, I still think we could be a tournament team. But losing games like that are certainly not helpful to the Bulldog cause. And, of course, the first things people come out with, say, you know what, fire Ben Howen, fire Ben Howen, fire Ben Howen. And, you know, I, I get emotional sometimes too. I got, I got a couple of group texts. There's some, you know, some text messages in there sometimes I'm probably not real proud of in hindsight. But I get, to be honest with you, I think that I'm in many respects kind of like a lot of our fans. It's like, I want Mississippi State basketball to be great. I don't want us just to be average. I don't want us to be pretty good. I want us to be great. We had some great years under Rick Stansberry. And, you know, and part of the reason they felt so great is because we were so bad in football at the time. And so we looked forward to basketball to give us something to cheer for, to have a rooting interest in before baseball season got here. And so – as a result, the context of those seasons is much greater because they were so important to our fan base. And there were a lot of years, too, that, you know, we left some games on the table under Rick, too, that would have put us in the tournament. We spent too much time in the NIT and never advanced beyond the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. As great as the Stansberry years were, we never made it to the Sweet 16, even with the SEC championship team back in 04. We didn't do it. Got upset by Butler. We let them dictate the flow of the game. And so, but I, I want to get back to that stuff when it matters. I mean, I love going to the Humphrey Coliseum and seeing eight, nine, ten thousand people there to watch us play a weekend ball game against Alabama and Mark Godfrey. Those were some great memories. We had some great teams. We're not even good right now. And you say, but Steve, look at the record. I mean, that's not what I mean. I mean, when you look at how many teams there are in the NCAA, you know, we're basically an average team. And when you look at what we've lost and what we've got coming up, you know, it's like, well, well you know, where, where are we going to make this, this game up? And, and I don't know where that's going to be. You know, but that's the one thing I'll say about Ben Howen is just when you're ready to kind of put dirt on these guys, you know, you, you're ready to bury them, they win a game they're not supposed to. Now, we're going to host a pretty, pretty bad Georgia team on Wednesday. That's got to be a W. Then you get Alabama coming in here on Saturday. And, again, it's a bad matchup for us, but it's at home. So, if you can find a way to go 2-0 and this week, now all of a sudden there's a lot of room for optimism. So, that's what we're, that's what we're pulling for. Of course, first things first, go take care of Georgia on Wednesday. But the reality of it is this team is capable of winning enough games to make the tournament. But we cannot afford – to drop games like this, a team with a net, you know, over 100. And you say, well, you know, it's the SEC, it's a rivalry game. Yeah, okay, cool. We still took a loss. 
You can explain it away however you want to. But we got outplayed. We got outcoached. We got another loss. Number one and one in the SEC. Again, I don't think it's I think it's too early to panic. I don't think in any way you look at it and say, you know what, hey, this is this season's over. I don't I don't believe that. But I could see this being one of those teams where we're just so up and down. And that, that's the thing that I think hurts us. You know, when we get ready to when they get ready to review the Mississippi State file with the NCAA tournament selection committee. I say, man, this team's got some good wins, got some really bad losses too. There's just so much of a roller coaster. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that Ben Howland doesn't care. I don't believe that. And I think we have talent. I think we've done a good job recruiting. But we got to win games because everything else, everything else is just details. You know, it's like we've had some coaches in the past in, in multiple sports like, oh, he's just such a nice guy. You know, that's it's true. It's true. You know, Dan Mullen wasn't an especially nice guy, but he won a lot of football games here. I don't need somebody to come to my kid's birthday party. I just need you to go win games for me. I don't need to pretend that we're friends. You know, I don't need to go get a picture made with somebody and say, hey, it's my, my buddy here, you know, my buddy Vic Schaefer. And Vic was great to me when he was here, you know, and I've still got his number. I'm sure if I called him, he'd call me back. But we're not those kind of friends. You know, it's like sometimes when we, we, we look at all this stuff, too, it's like, you know, when Vic was here, number one, Vic was a very, you know, genuine person to our fan base, but he also won a ton of games. Do you think he'd liked him as much if he'd have been just kind of an average coach? Of course you wouldn't have. You root for people that are winners. And so at the end of the day, you know, this is not a Boy Scout troop. You know, we're not out here, you know, trying to win the, you know, the, the Pine Box Derby. We're trying to win the Southeastern Conference, and sometimes that means you got to go get a couple jerks. I don't mean they got to be abrasive with the fan base, as uh, Alan McKean's uh, legacy would tell us. But the reality of it is, is I don't need somebody to come in here and, and be cute. I need somebody to come in here and win. I just want to win. I'm not part of this just to put on a maroon shirt and say we are family. We're invested in this to win games. So all the rest of it is just, you know, kind of means to an end. Oh, they're a nice person. You know, did you meet his wife? Great people. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you win the games? Uh, not enough. Oh, okay, cool. Again, not, not trying to put together a fraternity here. Trying to win ball games. And so every coach in every sport, regardless of circumstance, is judged on wins and losses. And what is the goal in men's basketball? And for that matter, women's basketball. You make the NCAA tournament. All right, we, nobody aspires to make the NIT. Now, maybe if you're a team that's kind of rebuilding, you've had a couple of losing seasons, you think hey, that would be a nice step for us in our development, our maturation process, make the NIT. be great. But we got to make tournament. It's as simple as that. I mean, we're in year seven, and we still haven't won an NCAA tournament game. And you say, but Steve, No. The facts are the facts. This is a tournament-caliber team. This is a team with tournament talent. We need to get the tournament, period. Simple as that. I don't don't care. The rest of it doesn't matter to me. I don't care about people's politics. I don't care how COVID-cautious they are. I don't care if they've ever signed, uh, you know, football or basketball or baseball, you know, for the auxiliary club. It doesn't matter to me. None of that stuff matters to me. What matters most is are we being successful on the field and courts of play? And, you know, I grew up 
you know, I'm from the 1900s. I'm an old guy. So we didn't always have it this good. And some of you are going to message me and say, Steve, you just think you're old now. I hope to live to be really old. But the reality of it is, I remember when I was a kid, and if we made a bowl game, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened. It's like, oh, my gosh, we just made a bowl game. Now it's like we make one nowadays, and it's never good enough. And I'm glad that the expectations around Mississippi State athletics have changed. I don't think in, in many respects that um, a lot of people fully appreciate that. You know, I think we should expect to be competitive and everything. You, I, I'll give you a good example of this, too, and I hate to belabor the point here, but I think it's important. How many of you all kept up with Mississippi State volleyball until this year? I mean, honestly. I mean, you really kept up with it. We had record crowds this year. We had fans following the team and putting it out on social media and say, hey, we won because we will support a winner. Julie Darty Dennis, really nice person. And the interactions I've had with her, very impressive. But you know what? I'm not evaluating her as a person. I'm evaluating her as a coach. And so you see it yourself. Your interest level in that sport is peaked because of their on-the-court success. There are people that were tweeting about volleyball that never cared about volleyball. They never kept up with it. They didn't even know the name of our coach. But because all of a sudden now we've won, and that's another thing, too, I think is interesting, too, is, you know, we, we don't realize, too, the totality of the athletic department. You know, we got to go out and hire a coach for volleyball. we got to hire a coach for men's golf, women's golf. And there's a lot to that. And it seems like everybody's always under evaluation. We got it right with Julie Darty Dennis. We did. And one of the things that I was told in the beginning when they hired her, it's like, hey, listen, this is your program. You run it the way you want to program. You got autonomy. You run your program the way you want to run your program. I just don't want any trouble. You just go handle your business, run your show, and look at what she's done. It's great. I don't know who votes on these national awards or whatever, you know, but, I mean, how can you not be excited about what she's done at a school that has very little in the way of volleyball tradition? And the fact that our fans are out there digging up and complaining about the, the volleyball polls, that is a credit to Julie Daugherty Dennis. She has made people who were previously apathetic care and have some sense of an emotional investment. And why? Because she won. It's that simple. Now, she's just as nice a person as she was when she didn't win big. When she was building this program, she was still just as nice. You just didn't notice as much because she wasn't winning as well the way she is now. So now all of a sudden, we're winning. Now, oh, man, I really like this person. We have... It's crazy how that works. It's amazing. And it's the same thing in this. It's like, so let's get excited about men's basketball. And I have people all the time that say, you know, how do our fans feel? Well, we're just kind of apathetic. You know, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And there are a lot of our fans, that's kind of how we feel. And then we, we lose to Ole Miss, and now all of a sudden that population of indifference all of a sudden gets motivated. Hey, now we need to make a change here. You know, and that's what happens. When you begin to lose the middle ground of your fan base, it's tough. It's tough to get them back because that's the currency within this state. You don't think those people at Ole Miss wanted to beat Mississippi State? I mean, they, they had had some up-and-down struggles. That's a good way to get your fan base back in your corner. Dan Mullen built a career on it. And so that's kind of where we are. So, you know, 
again, I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I do think we had the makings of a tournament team, and I think we're still gelling. If we could get everybody healthy, you know, maybe it's a different ball game. But the reality of it is, at the end of the season, when John Cohen sits down, in my personal opinion, it's going to boil down to, did we make a tournament or not? Are we getting better as a program? Because if you look at what we're going to lose at the end of this year, if we're going to have to rebuild next year, I'm either going to be rebuilding with a another a, a tournament banner being hung on uh, opening night, or I'm going to be doing it with a brand new coach. And that's just the reality of athletics. Now, for those of you that are, you know, this huge supporters of the current coaches, I mean, like we had with Vic, I mean, you guys can exchange Christmas cards, and I think that's great. You know, I'll be friendly if I see him out about on the on the on the road or whatever, but. You, know, you got to win. It's as simple as that. You have to win. And losing games like this erodes support within your fan base, which in turn makes the hump a little less hostile when opponents come in here. Makes your, your team not have quite as much hustle. And, and the last thing I'm going to say about this, you know, a few years ago we had Kentucky come in here, and we nearly beat them. It was the most electric atmosphere that I had seen in, in many, many years at Humphrey Coliseum because there was a belief. There was a belief that this team was getting better. There was a belief we could beat Kentucky. We didn't, but we played pretty well. We didn't finish, but we played well. And so the believers are out there. You just got to give them something to believe in, whether that be this team or whether it be a new coach. You got to find, you got to give people that want to believe something to believe in. All right, today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Matter of fact, got a message earlier today from a Boneyard listener. Today, Steve, could you send me the information for Close of Blair? Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Said, hey, I was going to fast forward through a show, but I was in a hurry. Show's gotten longer, so I can understand why maybe you didn't want to go through the whole 90 minutes. So I'm happy to share that information. And connect our Boneyard listeners with our friend, Blair Chandler. He's my friend. He'll be your friend, too. And it helps to have a friend in the business. When you're navigating something complicated, it's good to have an expert. Somebody kind of holds your hand the whole way through. Well, what does this mean? we got to get an inspection. Well, I thought we already had the appraisal. We do it. Something different. Well, now it's got to go to underwriting. Well, what does it go to overriding after that? What happens? You know, it's nice to have somebody involved that knows all the ins and outs of the industry. And that's Blair Chandler. 21 years of experience, man. This is not somebody, not a greenhorn. This is somebody that's been through the wars. They've seen all the non-conforming borrowers. They've gotten, you know, they have seen it all, done it all, and and in most cases got the loan approved. Give Blair Chandler a look at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. CloseWithBlair.com. And by being a Boneyard listener, doesn't matter who you cheer for. You can cheer for us. You can cheer for, cheer for Ole Miss. You can uh, cheer for University of California at Santa Barbara. Makes no difference. He's not going to discriminate. If you're a Boneyard listener and you mention to Blair, whether you by text or by email or by phone, that you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a cool thing right there. That's a fee that you don't have to pay, right? And anytime that you can save a little money in a mortgage game, you're already ahead of the game. Give Blair a text or call today. I'm going to give you his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Closewithblair.com. Now, I know Blair, being the delicate flower that he is, 
because he's a jam band enthusiast. And so when we actually plug in a distortion pedal, he has to play the top 10 list at a little lower volume. Well, you are not like me, and I am still working on Blair to kind of be his rock music sponsor. Um, so I'm going to encourage you on this list. We're going to crank it up today. We're, we're not we're not doing easy listening. We're not doing adult contemporary. We're not doing, you know, uh, you know, 70 soft rock. We're not doing that. We're kicking some tail today. All right. We're, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the top 10 list of rock bands that have made it with second singers, not two lead singers at one time, but, you know, bands that, were, that had achieved some notoriety with one singer, chain singers, and kind of kept going strong. Now, you may have a preference. You may have liked the previous singer more, and that's cool too. But I thought this would be an interesting exercise. And there are a few bands that I, I didn't mention, and I know some of you love them, that had uh, decent runs with other singers, Judas Priest being one of them. Uh, Rob Halford, of course, one of the legends in the game, man. Uh, and what's interesting, too, you know, uh, Tim Ripper Owens actually replaced him for a while. The movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg is based on Judas Priest and the replacement of Rob Halford. It's about Ripper, Ripper Owens. And so if you haven't seen it, I watch it every time it's on. Like if, like I can be cruising through the channels at like 1 in the morning, and I'll see Rockstar's like halfway through. I'm going to watch the rest of it. I just am. Steel Dragon, baby. Love it. And, you, and here's a little, a little tidbit about that, too. The guy that sings the vocals that Mark Wahlberg is, um, is kind of faking there, you know, he's lip syncing to, that's a guy from Steelheart, right? You know, the song, uh, Stand Up and Shout, We All Die Young. That's the vocalist from Steelheart. You know, I'll never let you go because you have angel eyes. Angel eyes. All right, so Judas Priest. Chicago was another one. Chicago's changed singers a couple times, right, and uh, had some success. There's another band you probably want that you probably a one-hit wonder in your mind, which means you probably should do a little more research into the catalog. They recorded a couple albums with a different singer, and then they hired Mike Patton and had a huge hit with the song Epic, and that's Faith No More. Check those guys out. And then Bad Company. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. Paul Rogers, one of the best blues singers of all time. Love him. But they bring, uh, I guess, Brian Howe in and, and uh, had a couple, you know, the, the Holy Water album is legit. They had a couple of good albums of Bad Company after Paul Rogers left. Now, it was a little more radio friendly where it wasn't just put on rock radio, it was put on top 40 radio. Uh, if you needed somebody, uh, there's a lot of great songs on there. Sometimes I'll put those albums on and jam them. And I'm, I remember when Holy Water came out, there were a lot of people in my generation who were like, hey, this is really cool. So there's some honorable mentions for you. Here's the top 10 rock groups that kind of soldiered on with second singers and had hits. And there are some humdingers on this list. Number 10, this band has the second highest number of number one singles only to shine down in modern rock chart history. It's the band Three Days Grace. I love the Adam Gautier stuff. Like my favorite Three Days Grace stuff is when he was there. They made a change and uh, brought in the singer of uh, a, kind of a neighboring band in many respects that, uh, you know, was related to the guitar player. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the Waste Brothers. It's uh, Matt and Brad Waste. Of course, uh, Matt was previously with a band called My Darkest Days. You can check them out. They're still moving on with a different singer. But uh, again, all Canadian band, but uh, really, 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 really good band. 
But the first single with Matt as the singer was a song called Painkiller. It went to number one. I think you'll dig that one. Number nine, and there is some controversy about this album. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a crew head. I'm a, a unashamed Motley Crue fan. I always have been. And uh, it, I know it irritates some people. Oh, you know, whatever this. Motley Crue was great. Motley Crue is still great. They're about to play stadiums again uh, if we could ever get everything handled. But there was an album that was recorded. So you had, you know, of course, you had Too Fast for Love, and you had Shout the Devil and Theater of Pain, Girls, 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 which really made them mainstream to a lot of people. And then Dr. Feelgood really, I think, really solidified them as one of the headliners of the 80s. Then they had the Greatest Hits album where they dropped Primal Scream and a couple of unreleased tracks. And then Vince got fired. And then he did, uh, you know, his Unmasked album or Exposed album. And they get John Karabi from The Scream and they record a self-titled album. And now this sounds sacrilegious to some people. Some of the best music in Tommy Lee and Mick Mars' career is on this solo album. And a lot of people, oh, you know, it wasn't really crew without Vince. Okay, I get it. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a great album. It was a great album. It didn't sell nearly as well as it should have. And I was just a lot, that a lot of people just kind of rejecting a Motley Crue lineup without Vince Neil. But, uh, you know, the title track, excuse me, title track, the lead single on this album was Hooligans Holiday. That's your number nine song, Miley Cruz, Hooligans Holiday. My favorite song on the track, on that album, is Till Death Do Us Part. I think it's phenomenal. I think if you put it on today, it sounds, it holds up. That's the thing that I'll say. A lot of the Motley stuff in the 80s sounds really dated because of the production value at the time. You listen to that self-titled album, it sounds like it came out a week ago. It doesn't sound 80-ish. It's very, very much a rock album. And if you, I'm telling you, give it another shot. If you, if you did back then, you're like, oh, I don't like this. Listen to it again. I'm telling you, you'll dig it. Number eight. A lot of people think, ah, oh, you know, Steve, well, Joey Belladonna had all the great years with Anthrax. I disagree. I thought the albums they did with John Bush were phenomenal. So Anthrax is your number eight band. John Bush sold a ton of records with Anthrax. And I got to go back with Room for One More. There's always room at the table. Always room for one more. Number eight on the list, Anthrax is room for one more. And I actually think John was good for the band because I feel like, honestly, when Joey rejoined the band, there was a more of an edge to Joey with uh, the older albums. You know, deeper in the catalog, they put that worship music album is phenomenal. Number seven, Alice in Chains. They have not had as many hits as they did when Lane Staley was a singer, but they've had a few. And that's one of the reasons there are a lot of bands out there that have went out and hired singers and there's somebody else basically up there singing karaoke and doing a great job. I get it. But Allison Chains has had some hits. And, and I wondered if they would ever tour again. I really did. Didn't know how I felt about it. They bring in Howard and, um, you know, he was kind of a touring musician for a while. But I go back to the very first real hit they had post Lane Staley, and that's Check My Brain. That's number, number seven on your list. Check My Brain from Alice in Chains. Really sounds like old-school Alice in Chains. Uh, number six, you know, Peter Gabriel was the lead singer of Genesis for a long time. He leaves, so Phil Collins comes out from behind the kit. Made them a much more commercially accepted band. They had a ton of hits with Phil Collins, uh, Tony and Mike. It was, it was great. I know a lot of people liked the earlier stuff. I was never a big Peter Gabriel fan. I know that I'm going to get hate mail for that. 
I didn't like Sledgehammer. I didn't, I didn't like a lot of that stuff. I, I just didn't like Peter Gabriel's voice. I know many of you do, and that's cool. We'll still be friends. We'll just disagree about this. I thought Genesis was better with Phil Collins as the singer. And I think there's a reason that Phil Collins has had a more successful solo career as well. Uh, but I go Land of Confusion, number six. Genesis, Land of Confusion. Number five, and the rest of these, these are not really radio-friendly. These are bands that struggled to get airplay during their heyday. And the fact that they sold so many records says a lot about their willingness to get out on the road and tour and put on a great show. Number five on the list is Deep Purple. The David Coverdale years, that's right. For those of you who didn't know, David Coverdale from Whitesnake was the lead singer in Deep Purple and had a couple, I guess three really good albums with them. There was all this, you know, craziness within the band. David came in, I thought really gave them some stability again. So we're going to go Deep Purple's Stormbringer. That's the title song off the second album with Coverdale. Stormbringer. I got a chance to see the Purple Tour here a couple years ago down in Biloxi. Took uh, Ani down there to see to, to see Whitesnake. Well, I think we saw 13 shows that year. At the end of the year, he goes, yeah, the best show I saw all year was Whitesnake. Those guys are real rock stars. And yeah, yeah, you're right. They're not, they don't look like some guy just got off a double shift at Subway and grabbed a guitar and walked on stage. These guys are committed. Incredible musicians, got great image. So they played a combination of the White Snake classics and then a handful of songs from the Deep Purple Kellogg. I got the, still got the shirt, the White Snake, the Purple Tour. It was great. Uh, I believe we opened up with with Burn. I think that's right um, on that on that tour. Number four. You know, Ozzy and Black Sabbath had a great run, one of the legendary rock bands of all time, and then you know Ozzy gets fired. Eventually has a solo career, but, uh, you know, Tony and Geezer and those guys continued on. And they bring in a guy named Ronnie James Dio. It changed the band. And, and to Ronnie's credit, too, and Ronnie James Dio, one of the best hard rock singers of all time, God rest his soul. He, he felt like, you know what, hey, I don't want to be the lead singer in Black Sabbath. Let, let's, let's change the name of the band. They did. After the Heaven and Hell album, they changed the name of the band to Heaven and Hell. Because really out of respect to Ozzy, because Ronnie just didn't want to have, want to ride those coattails. And of course, Ronnie was the lead singer in Rainbow and of course Dio. And it's just it's phenomenal to see. You know, that's the thing. It didn't matter how small you are, you got the big voice, you always got a gig. So Black Sabbath, we're gonna go with The Mob Rules. The Mob Rules, your number four song. Number three, a lot of people don't know this. The legendary Bruce Dickinson is not the original lead singer of Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden cut a couple of albums before Bruce joined the band. Bruce's operatic stylings is what really allowed Iron Maiden to take the next jump. There are songs that they could play with Bruce they couldn't play before. And they couldn't play after. When you being Blaze was kind of operatic too, but he just didn't have the same grit and the same gravel on his vocal as, as Bruce. Bruce Dickinson, one of the greatest vocalists of all time. I don't care what anybody says. And I went back with uh, on the Somewhere in Time album, number three on your list, Wasted Years from Iron Maiden. Almost one stranger in a strange land. But I think I love that opening guitar riff, Wasted Years, number three. Okay, so now we're down to the final two. And some of you are wondering, okay, Steve, who could it be? Uh, Number two, and this is going to hurt some feelings, and that's okay. I know it won't hurt Rob's feelings. It's Van Halen at number two. Sammy Hagar sold a ton of records with Van Halen, had a ton of commercial success. And there are a lot of people out there like, oh, I prefer David Lee Rostup. You know what? I do too. 
but that doesn't prevent me from enjoying the Sammy Hagar stuff. I don't hate Sammy Hagar. I liked Sammy Hagar before he joined the band. Sammy Hagar was already an accomplished, well-traveled musician long before he got to Van Halen. It's not like they just went and got some geek off the street or hired some guy from a tribute band. Sammy Hagar was already a bit of a powerhouse. And so you bring him in, and the chemistry in the band was phenomenal for many, many years. And there's so many things that I could get excited about with uh, with Sammy Hagar stuff. I, I really felt Dave is a better front man. Sammy's a better singer. He, he really is. Now, Sammy has a tendency to over-sing at times. But I love the Van Halen stuff with Sammy. I really do. I, and it's like, it's, it's kind of silly, especially now that he's left the band. You know, that you look back and say, oh, I can't listen to that stuff. Guys, you, you're only hurting yourself. I could have gone a lot of different directions here, but I went with Can't Stop Loving You off the Balance album. That's Van Halen number two on the list. Number one, and it should be obvious. It absolutely should be obvious. Nobody has done it better. They basically have had two careers. You had the Bon Scott years, which were phenomenal. And that's back to, you know, these guys, uh, you know, Bon Scott coming up from Australia, they're kind of figuring it all out. And, you know, Bon wasn't a good-looking guy. Bon didn't have the greatest voice. But Bon was the guy that could write songs. Bon was the guy that could deliver live. And they built a huge following because they were a a blue-collar band. You know, you couldn't hear Bon Scott singing the Iron Maiden stuff or even the Van Halen stuff. Not even most of the Black Sabbath stuff. You know, Bon Scott and ACDC kind of made their own lane. And then tragically, Bon dies. And a lot of people wondered, hey, what's going to happen here? Yeah, we'll just go ahead and, and release uh, release one of the greatest albums of all time. Right? Back in Black. And that was really kind of a tribute to Bon Scott. And they have basically been two bands. Now, you can say, you know what, Angus has been great throughout him and Malcolm both. I think they found the different gear with Brian Johnson. And I think it's some of that, too, is because Brian Johnson's vocal stylings kind of allowed them, I think, to write a different brand of song. So I can appreciate the Bon Scott stuff, and I love the Bon Scott stuff. And there are a lot of that stuff, like you hear some of the live, like some of the Brian Johnson stuff singing some of those Bon Scott songs, and you hear it, and it's like it's breathed new life into them. But you got to go with the classic, right? You got to go with You Shook Me All Night Long. We're going to go out on a high note. Love the video. Absolutely love the video. But uh, love the track. And I have been, when I used to DJ, uh, you know, fraternity and sorority swaps, you know, back in the early 90s on the Southern Miss campus. People would come up to me and request, they knew that I would play some rock stuff if they asked me. I think I played this every night. I remember DJing some Kyle Omega swaps and. You know, 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids walking up and say, hey, are you the guy that'll play ACDC? Yeah, yeah. And I even had some ACDC dance mix stuff. But uh, the reality of it is, this is a band that's timeless, and nobody has done it better. And, of course, their switch was not due to, sadly, to uh, musical differences that were reconcilable. It was due to the death of Bon Scott. But good on ACDC for continuing on and finding a great singer. So there you go. Interesting top 10 list today. I think you'll dig that one. Listen to that on the way home. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out let me know. Happy to uh, to add them to the list. Roy is uh, always kind of keeping up on that. Roy is, uh, in really respects, been a godsend. He's an analytical guy. So he kind of lets me know, hey, this did well, this didn't do well. And so we try to find things we think you'll like. And so if you have ideas, reach out to me or Roy. 
Uh, you can find Roy on Spotify and Twitter at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And uh, I always retweet him and Izzy. And I want to thank Izzy, as always, for uh, putting these great lists on Apple Music. Because not everybody's a Spotify guy. I'm not a Spotify person. I'm not. I'm an Apple Music person. So we provide you the best of both worlds. And who knew that it would be the big deal that it's become. So thank you guys for your support of the top ten list. And look forward to another great one on Wednesday. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Uh, I love Campus Bookmart, too. And I understand the man, back when he had hair, was whipping his hair around to deep purple. I know he was. Then the Black Sabbath. I just know it. I don't need him to tell me. I just know. And maybe that's a conversation you can have with Stan when you visit him at Campus Bookmart. Now, I can guarantee you the lovely, talented Susie knows all of these songs because she married a drummer. How about that? You're learning some things today about the people you've heard about for so many times on the show. Kathy Brown, I don't know. She, she married, um, she didn't marry a musician. Let's just say that. So I don't know. But I, I guarantee you, her husband, Paul, I know that he knows Deep Purple. I know that he knows uh, Van Halen, Iron Maiden, Genesis, ACDC. Maybe we can turn him on us in Three Days Grace. How about that? Go by and talk rock music with them, but also talk maroon and white fashions when you visit them in town. If you can't make it to town, let me give you a promo code that will save you a little juice, save you some cash. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, the phrase it pays, BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. We'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Love Campus Bookmark. I, I, I guarantee you, in the last year, I, I guarantee you I spent $1,000 in there. I, I, would, I, I would guarantee it. Because when all the national championship merch and all came out, I had to buy some for everybody. And like any time that I need like a present or whatever, that's where I go. It's just, it's just like, oh, so-and-so is graduating or so-and-so is getting married. Okay, well, I could go buy them something lame off their registry or – I can get into the Mississippi State related, right? I can go buy that Christmas ornament. So every year when they hang that up on the tree, they'll think of me and my family, right? So that's what I do. And I think you could do the same thing too. Outfit your family and everybody around you in maroon and white fashions from campusbookmart.net. Of course, promo code BSR. Okay, so there was some good basketball news over the weekend, as you are well aware. Mississippi State women shorthanded again. Just two coaches and seven players, and they beat Vanderbilt. Now, we discussed last week that this is a better Vanderbilt team. So this wasn't like what we saw two years ago, where you could just kind of show up and go through shoot-around and, and win the ball game. These ladies had a scratch and claw, and it was a dog fight until the very end, and then the dogs won. Vanderbilt actually gets out to a 15-11 lead. State wins the second quarter 17-12, and so we're up one at the break. Vanderbilt comes right back, wins the third quarter, 19-17. But then it's closing time, and coffee is for closers, and Maya Taylor had a bunch of it. 25-17, fourth quarter for the Lady Bulldogs. They end up winning 70-63. to Really great effort. And what, what can you say about what Doug Novak has done? You know what? If Doug had just kind of like, hey, I need to you know, work with my agent or whatever and trying to find some opportunities and just kind of not done a good job, if he just kind of – made sure that we were able to make it through the week and get to games, you almost couldn't have blamed him. But that's not who we, how he's built. We talk about teams taking on the personality of their coach. 
I believe that's what you're seeing. With, I think you're beginning to see who Doug Novak is. There have been back-to-back games that the Bulldogs could have easily lost and probably should have lost at times. But they didn't. That's coaching. We have shared this on the show many times before. Mississippi State folks, in many respects, we'll, we'll put up with losing for a while. We understand losing is part of competition. We won't put up with lack of effort. We will cheer for above-average effort, but when we get elite effort, we're going to be on our feet. Doug Novak's got many Bulldog fans right now saying, hey, take the interim tag off his, off his coaching title. He's earned their respect. This team has earned our respect, and maybe it's part of it's because we've had modest expectations after all the adversity we've gone through. Difficult year last year, all the COVID craziness, and then, of course, we had another coaching change. And we had some players leave, and a lot of people were like, you know, Steve, I don't know what's going to happen. You know what? Doug Novak and the staff hadn't made any excuses. These ladies haven't made excuses for themselves. And you know what? Some of the excuses that could be offered, you could even be considered reasons. You could say, you know what, hey, I kind of get it. They're not buying into that. That's what's in front. That's what fires Mississippi State people up. It's like, you know what, hey, you know, we only got seven players. We're going to win anyway. We ain't going to quit. And they did. It's outstanding. What I thought was crazy, too, is like they held all of Vanderbilt's leading five starters not a single one of them had double-digit scoring. They had a couple ladies come off the bench. Uh, one of them, of course, Ayanna Moore, is a solid contributor for, for them. I don't, I don't know why she didn't start, but uh, yeah, she had 20. But, you know, Lady Bulldogs got there and competed. Let's look at some numbers. Anastasia Hayes is a huge night. I mean, huge night. When you had to have it, how about that? Anastasia Hayes plays all 40 minutes, 11 of 20 from the floor, knocks down a couple threes, 7 of 7 from the line. And in a tight ball game, that means everything. One rebound, just two personal fouls. There, there's not a lot of players that wouldn't get two fouls just accidentally playing 40 minutes. Three assists, one turnover, 31 points, and hit a big three when we had to have it. Huge. Jerkelia Jordan, 31 minutes, 11 points for her, a couple steals, also a block, pulled down five rebounds. Aislinn Hayes, Hayes, pardon me, 33 minutes. Six rebounds, nine points. Maya Taylor, 39 minutes. She's just the Energizer Bundy. Every time I turn around, it's like she's getting a steal. She's just got another one now. Uh, that's three on the game for her. And then six points. She uh, she did have uh, a couple turnovers in the ball game, which is kind of atypical for her. And I'm sure she'll tell you she's got to do a little bit better with ball security. But by and large, her assist turnover ratio is generally very good. She got into a little bit of foul trouble. Which is a big deal for us because Danae Carter fouled out, and we had to have Katarian Thompson come on and uh, and play some big minutes. And what does she do? Ten points, ten points in 19 minutes of action, and three steals, not a single personal foul. Pulled down three rebounds. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive effort, man. Uh, the ladies scored 30 points in the paint, outscore Vanderbilt 30-28 in the paint. Points off turnovers. This is where the you want to see a difference in the ball game right here. 31 for Mississippi State, 11 for Vanderbilt. Second chance points. Vandy has a bit of an advantage here, 18 to 8. Fast break points. That's where they kind of got in their legs a little bit, 15 to 7. And, they, of course, with that starter coming off the bench, they outscored our bench because we didn't have a bench. We didn't have a bench. But we found a way to win the ball game. And so a lot of people was, hey, Steve, is Doug Novak a candidate? You know, here's the deal. I, 
how, how can you not at least give the guy an interview? And I think in many ways he's interviewing now. And I think he entered the year with basically an understanding that, hey, we're going to make a coaching change at the end of the year. And he's like, you know, I, I got a mortgage to pay. You know, I got bills. I got to work. I can't just pack up and go. This guy's making the most of his opportunity. How can you not be impressed from what we've seen from Mississippi State basketball last week? I, I, really beyond that, but, I mean, just since we've got an SEC play, they find out basically 48 hours before that Missouri game's getting postponed. Was it Missouri game? Well, we got a game postponed, the Florida game, I guess. And then now we're headed to uh, South Carolina, number one South Carolina. And we go out there and lose by a dozen. And basically had it in second uh, single digits for a stretch there. In the middle part of the ball game, we were competing. We didn't quit. It had been easy to go up there and get blown out. Nobody would have blamed us, but we didn't. We had some heart and some pride in the uniform, pride in ourselves, and buy-in with our coaches. Then we go on the road, shorthanded, and beat Alabama in their gym. And then we're shorthanded again, and we take down Vandy. Now, we got a couple big road games this week. Kentucky and Ole Miss. And uh, Ole Miss fell to Tennessee over the weekend, but Ole Miss playing well. They really are. They will be ready to go when we go up there. Again, I encourage you, if you can get to Oxford this weekend, if you can tolerate it, go up there and uh, cheer for the ladies. But uh, you know, here's the thing that I'll know. You know I don't think anybody's going to pick us to win either one of these games. But how do you count out the Bulldogs after what you've seen this past week? I think it's interesting. Now, early on, I thought, you know what, there's really no way Doug gets his job. I still think it's a long shot. But the reality of it is, is he is beginning to curry some favor within the fan base. Looking at Kentucky, that will be uh, – let me just double-check here. That is the Thursday game, so we'll give you a more in-depth preview a little bit later. But, uh, you know, Kentucky – Kentucky 8-4 and four on the year. They got talent, but, it, you know, SEC play has gotten here, and they didn't – they postponed the Auburn game. Uh, they beat Georgia – in Lexington, and then they got beat by 20 against South Carolina. So no shame in that. But uh, you look at the game and you think, okay, this this might be one we can compete in. They don't look to be as strong as they have been. They will be a good team. There's no doubt about it. Kentucky, uh, you know, Matthew Mitchell did a great job. Ole Miss, 13-2 and two on the year. And uh, give them a lot of credit. They have definitely built and built and built. And in many respects, I'm sure they feel like they passed us. And that's what they, I'm sure, will think. That'll be the coronation or the change of the guard when we go up there and play. Hopefully the ladies have a little more to say about it. Uh, they drill Florida in the uh, SEC opener. They had, what's interesting for Ole Miss, Arkansas and South Carolina both got postponed. So they get Florida on the road, drill them by 18, and then they get beat 70-58 in Oxford by Tennessee. Tennessee playing well, too. They'll play Alabama on Thursday and then host us uh, on Sunday. So, again, we've got a lot to cheer for in many respects when you look at what Doug Novak and his staff are doing. We don't even know a lot of these people. You know, the transfer portal, you know, we all these people come in and all these coaches come in and like, well, you know, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm sure you're a nice person, but can you win some games? And Doug's like, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. We got our transfers in here. Yeah, yeah, we can go win some games. And they have been. And so there is some room for optimism. 
You know, a lot of people said, I don't expect anything from women's basketball this year. And you know what? That probably was fair. It probably was fair. Brand new team, second coaching change in, what, 14 months, you know. And so, yeah, you, you kind of understand that. You had some star players leave. You know, and, and what's interesting, too, you had Jemiah Mingo transfer to Alabama and then um, took it out to Mississippi State. You know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But the reality of it is, is this team is exceeding expectations. Now, still a lot of basketball left to play, just like on the men's side. And it's interesting, too, is like I think the women are playing harder than the men, and I feel like the men are probably a tournament team, and I still think the women may not be. But after this weekend, you know, I'm probably even getting close to being even-handed in that respect. If the, the women continue to play like they're playing, I think, yes, they very well could be a tournament team. And wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? You know, again, I get back to you know, the culture thing. You know? you know, we had good basketball culture, and then we didn't. And you got a new coach in there that uh, is a former men's coach that's trying to create culture, and it's a short-term deal. There's no guarantee he's going to be here next year. And, again, I can't say enough about that staff and these players. They have just said, you know what, forget all the noise. Let's just go play basketball. I love it, man. I know you guys do too. I know I, I absolutely love it. And after we lost the ball game to Ole Miss on Saturday night, it was nice all of a sudden, hey, what? You find out Sunday that uh, you know, we're trying seven players and two assistant coaches out there, and it's like, you know, can we just grab some students from the section and let them let them participate? And we won the game. It's insanity. And again, it goes back to coaching. Absolutely coaching. And then coaching breeds buy-in from players. And to the players' credit, they're buying in to whatever Doug Novak is teaching them because they will not quit. And as Mississippi State people, we can respect that. you got to have a little character to wear maroon and white in your life, man. You do. We might get beat every now and again, but we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. It's pretty crazy, man. And, again, outstanding effort. And, again, uh, salute the ladies and thank them for their, their contributions and uh, look forward to more wins down the stretch. Now, all of a sudden, hey, starting to feel a little bit bullish about the, uh, the Lady Bulldogs. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know our good friend Brooks Bryan. Brooks wore the M over S, still wears it um, in his personal life. You see Brooks around, chances are he's got on a Mississippi State insignia somewhere, whether it be on his chest or his hat. Um, but Brooks now part of a great group that's bringing a great residential development to Starkville. I like Brooks. I would do business with Brooks. I trust Brooks. I also love Starkville. I tell people all the time, you're like, I moved here from Mississippi State. I moved here to be closer to work. I didn't know what a great place Starkville was until I got here because it's a great place on game day and it's a great place every day I love it here the people are great nothing moves too slow or too fast around here we just kind of move along at the right pace I get a little impatient at times but uh, the reality of it is I love it here and I'm here I guess until they put me in a nursing home but um, if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico just because of the convenience to campus. And, again, it's tucked away. You know, it's a little bit farther away than you know, you're not on the busy side of campus. 
It's 1.1 miles away. You turn off of 82 on a 12, take the very first right. That's Pat Station Road. You go through a little stop sign there, boom, Portico. You can ride around and go check it out yourself next time you're in town. And I'll be honest with you, if you're looking to buy in Starkville and your real estate agent hasn't mentioned Portico, you need to ask him about it. Now, new construction going on now. Phase one completely sold out. And here's the deal, though. You're catching Portico at a good time. Because rather than you having to say, okay, well, this will, yeah, this works. I'm excited about this. But I wish there was this. See, that's the thing is because you, you're getting on board now, before the houses are constructed, you can pick your lot and you can have a say in picking out those house plans. And so you kind of get more of what you want. So instead of you having to kind of make the best of it, you can help design the best of it. Perfect. Perfect timing for you. Give Brooks a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Listen, you owe him a text or a call because you want to do business, but also, too, you got to thank him for robbing that home run against Washington and sent us to Omaha. He's a bulldog through and through. He'll do you right. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. Over the weekend, we pick up a commitment from Gabriel Placencia. We've talked about him on the show. From College of San Mateo, it's a junior college out in California. He was a guy, too, that um, got some looks, but not any offers out of high school. So he decided decided to make a run at JUCO. It's like, hey, I'm going to bet on myself rather than be a you know preferred walk-on somewhere and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go out here and kick and, and see what we can do. He's originally from Oakland, California. So he's, he's coming a ways now. Now, Cole's professional kicking camps. These are uh, these guys have kind of been watching the guy for a while. Longest field goal in his history, 51. Kicked six in a game, 14 in a single season, and had 99 points in a game. Interesting. Now, here's the rest of that story, too. There are a lot of people that get, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are rating kids, Right? And when it comes to kickers, it's just a different deal, right? It's just a different deal. Like, we don't really evaluate kickers. We kind of let the evaluation guys do it. But it's not one of those deals, too, where you look at it and say, okay, we're going to just take these guys' word for it. And so he's not going to have five stars on his 247 or his composite ranking. Kickers don't rate that high. Now – Chris Saylor, who is considered by many to be the number one evaluator of kickers in the country, has given Gabe a five-star designation and ranked him 30th in the country. Now, are there 35-star kickers in the country? Well, according to Chris's way of doing things, yes. And so I, I, I share that with you just to kind of put some context with this. And so what a five-star means for Chris, because there can be 100 of these guys. It's not like in our network where you kind of limit it. You know, I know with Scout, we used to do the top 50 players as five stars, and then the next 250 were four. So here's how Chris does it. So a five-star kicker is an FBS freshman year starter and a guy worthy of a scholarship. But that's not the highest designation. You could actually go to a six-star kicker with Chris Saylor, which is an FBS Power Five freshman year starter and a scholarship pick and so to kind of put that in perspective Gabe earns the second highest designation uh, by the best 
kicking analyst in the country. Right? Because a lot of people see five stars and know what that means. And all of a sudden, they can look at his 247 profile and say, hey, I thought he was a five-star. Well, we didn't rate him a five-star. Different rating system. And Chris Saylor is a guy that picks the, uh, the kickers for the All-American Bowl that was played this past weekend. Now, here is what Chris had to say. Gabe is a very talented junior college kicking and punting prospect. He is big, tall, strong, and athletic. The lefty, that's right, he's a left-footed kicker, does a great job on field goal. Gets the ball up and well, gets the ball up well and easily has 55 plus yard range. His kickoffs are strong, college ready. Drives the ball in the end zone with a 4.0 plus hang time. That's pretty cool. We can cover that. Also a strong punter. Gabe punts for a nice combination of distance and hang time. He will be able to compete at this spot on the next level. A competition that thrives under pressure. A competitor that thrives under pressure. Gabe continues to show steady improvement each time we see him. He has all the tools to take his game to the next level and dominate. I really like his all-around upside. Look for Gabe to compete with the best of the best at Vegas in January, turning heads of college coaches. He's a fine young man who's always a great pleasure to work with. Strong junior college prospect. Offer now. So, and and here's the thing, too. Uh, It looks like that Chris has seen him uh, two or three times. So it's not like one of these deals where one guy shows up and has a good day. This is a guy that's been evaluated multiple times, again, by you know the nation's best kicking analyst. So what does that mean for Mississippi State? I'm actually going to write that story a little bit later today. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we struggled on special teams. You might have noticed we weren't very good on special teams. We were not consistent with punts. We certainly weren't consistent with field goals. Scott Goodman, I thought, when healthy, did a really good job on kickoffs. Now, I, I don't know what – uh, Matt Brock's telling the guy to do, but uh, you know he put the ball in the end zone, and you know we had some issues obviously when he went down. But the reality of it is, is we needed to upgrade ourselves basically in all kicking disciplines, and we needed to add competition to the room. This is not the only kicker that we're going to add in this class. Now, this is a preferred walk-on opportunity right now. You know, and if somebody offers him a scholarship, I guess things could change. But he's going to be here in a week. I think they're all reporting this weekend. And so it's important to kind of understand how that's going to shake loose. Still expecting to add a true field goal kicker. That's not to say that Gabe won't compete. I think Gabe probably is a guy that competes in all three, as a kickoff guy, a punting guy, and as a uh, place kicker. I kind of like the idea of a left-footed punter, you know, because the, the rotation's different. Guys aren't used to seeing that. Sometimes that leads to muffs. But I like the fact that we're being aggressive with specialists. And we're not done. We're going to have some more specialists join the class. I've told you guys before. Uh, like what I'm hearing about Massimo Biscardi from Coastal Carolina. Of course, he has not announced a decision yet. We think that's probably any day now. And then you'll probably see another kicker, punter, kickoff guy. You know, somebody that will compete at one of those three kicking disciplines join the class. So I think when it's all said and done, you're going to have three new kickers join the class this spring and of course you'll always have some guys walk on in fall camp and try to make the squad so we had the kicker tryouts among the student body didn't work out didn't work out so we've gone out and recruited some guys to come in to add some depth and competition at the position of course nolan mccord uh still here and he's a young guy too and a lot of people are like oh my gosh he was put in a situation that he wasn't quite ready for. I know he'll tell you he was. But, I mean, that is a difficult deal, especially that kick at Arkansas. I mean, we didn't get a great snap either. But uh, 
the reality of it is, is just like we talked about before, you're not going to want Mike Leach to hang around just because he's funny. If he doesn't win enough games, you're going to want him fired. And this is how you, this is how the sausage is made. We got to go out and find some guys that can improve or we're deficient. And I think special teams cost us two to three games this year. I think we can all be honest about that, even in hindsight. You know what? We got to upgrade things. We got to make a change. So this is a step in that direction. So Gabriel Placencia, we uh, will have more with him over at jeanspage.com. Be sure to go check that out. But we are not done with kickers. We're not done. So be prepared for that. So when you're in the Facebook groups and you've got non when you got non-Boneyard listeners in there kind of sharing their take on things, you, yes, you, can be the voice of reason and information and say, you know what, no, this is incorrect. We're actually going to add probably two more kickers. So we'll have Placencia, and then we're going to add a couple more guys to add more competition in the room. I want you to be the most knowledgeable uh, members of the Bulldog fan base. And when you go have that water cooler talk with everybody – it's like, oh, we got a five-star kicker. Well, yeah, that's true, but he's not technically a five-star. And actually, with Chris Sayward's rating system, a six-star is the highest designation. You be able to, to go out there and hold your own. You know, you don't have to be a casual fan. You can be the most knowledgeable Bulldog fan that your friends know. That's what I hope we do here at the Boneyard. So we'll have more recruiting stuff on Wednesday, and, and business is about to pick up. So we're going to have some official visitors later this week. Uh, Tremont Shorts, an offensive line prospect from East Tennessee State, a grad transfer, a guy that was an outstanding player at East Tennessee State, expected to visit us this week. And we'll have a couple more this weekend. you got three weeks. Three weeks. The sprint starts on Friday. The dead period lifts on the 13th, and here we go. Start getting official visitors back on campus. And you've basically got three weekends to get it done. Got to put some things together. And as you guys are well aware, too, you know, we've got transfers that are going to be rolling in now, too. Like Marcus Banks is a guy we still feel okay with. You know, Miami's still in touch with him a little bit. But we kind of get the sense they're kind of recognizing the fact that he's not going to come. Uh, so he's supposed to be here this weekend. So he's scheduled to report. And so hopefully we'll have all this lined up for you guys. And then um, you guys report this weekend, uh, kind of get their locker set up and get their housing settled and, and begin spring classes. That's an exciting part of this. So there will be some new Bulldogs between now and then. And be sure to keep up with me and Paul Jones over at jeanspage.com because we will keep you apprised of what we're hearing. And, again, I've, I've, I've belabored the point with you guys. we got to get a safety or two. Got to get an offensive lineman. Got to get a couple receivers. And could, would love to get an edge if we can get them, Right feel pretty good about everything else. But uh, there are going to be some new names. They're going to make your football team a better program in 2022. So if you want to know the latest updates on that, visit us at jeanspage.com. We're also about uh, three weeks, three-plus weeks from Dogpile finally, finally being shipped from the printer to the publisher. So as I've shared with you guys before, those books will be shipped from the printer to the publisher, and then I will go on site and I will sign your books, and then the publisher will then mail them out to you. That's how it works. And so I'll keep you apprised. The last couple of weeks, the ship date is held firm. Now, that's not to say that as we get closer, it couldn't move up a couple days or move back a couple days. That's happened a couple times for us. I know when we did uh, Alpha Dogs, it got here, I think, four days early. So I don't make any promises, especially with the national paper shortage. So be prepared for that. So I would feel pretty confident saying, this is book release month, and uh, hopefully you guys will have it you know, on or around February 1st. And so plenty of time to read it 
before college baseball season begins. Get you all fired up about the Diamond Dogs of 2022. So looking forward to you guys having the book, enjoying the book, and cherishing it for many, many years. Also got my reports in for December from the fine folks at the Deep South Pout that handle the Stark Bellin shirt, and you guys bought a bunch of shirts. And uh, thank you for that. If you want to join the Cool Kids Club, go to StarkVillains.com, and you can get your T-shirt and hoodies lined up today. Different colors, different styles, a lot of options there. They did better than I could have ever hoped for. Did a great job with those shirts. And uh, you guys keep buying them. You know, some months we sell a few, some months we sell a lot. But you guys continue to buy them. So I appreciate that. And uh, please feel free to outfit your entire family in Stark Villain gear. If you haven't ordered the book, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order today. Uh, while you're there, you can get copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dog. It amazes me that how many copies of Flim Flam we still continue to sell. I mean, honestly, it does. Even when I go to book signings, it's like people are getting Flim Flam for the first time. I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, the book's, uh, you know, four and a half years old, and we're still selling it. And so that's pretty remarkable. So um, you can find all those books there. Blooms of Oleander is a book that I self-published. The only book that I self-published, contrary to popular belief on Twitter, uh, you can find that. At Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com, Books a Million, that's Blooms of Oleander, uh, the softer side of Steve Robertson. And then there's some, there's some stuff in there that's kind of in your face, too. Uh, or your local bookstore can order for that for you as well. So be sure and check all that out. Thanks so much for all your support of the books, the merch, the website. I got so much to be grateful for, man. You guys are so awesome to me, and I thank you for it. Uh, but until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.